Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefight Podcast. I have two fire friends with me. I have Ash. Hello. And I've got Scott. Hey. Scott is back <laughs> and del- delayed. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to get this mic thing out. <laughs> Scott is back from his uh, vacation. Yep. Welcome back, Scott. Thanks. Back to the real human food. Yeah, cruising is good. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, uh, I was just going to mention that Ketchikan um, has a pretty sweet fire station. They have a actual, they have a shirt dispenser where you can buy uh, fire shirts right out of there. <laughs> like it's like a vending machine. Like a vending machine. Yeah, I haven't seen that before. No. Yeah, I guess Rob. Pick your print, don't you? Yeah, there's uh, two. There's um, a halibut one, <clears throat> which they were sold out of my size, but Rob also has that shirt, so I didn't want to be the same. And then there's a salmon one, which is the one I got. I'm not wearing it right now. <laughs> Nice. Actually, mm-hmm. looking or not, I don't know if you're trying to see if I'm wearing the yeah, shirt. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's no, it's cool. It's I've never seen that before, and I think it's a good idea because you just come by and put your money in and get, get your shirt. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Absolutely, can you imagine. They go. What do you, I think uh, Scott, you mentioned like they have one one of our restaurants here. You yeah, sell a whole pile of society shirts. I think that'd be really cool. So, like, we have a restaurant in town called the Fire Hall Brewery. Um, well, it's a bistro, a bistro, if you will. Yeah. And there's a brewery downstairs. Uh, if we had, it's our old fire hall. Yeah, and yeah. it's in the old fire station. So I think that whole thing ties kind of together pretty nice. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe in time we can jump on that. Cool. I wanted to bring one thing up. Um, I'm sitting at the chief's desk. Todd said it last week. Over my shoulder, it's a picture of our chief. <laughs> Um, what was the story? His son got that made for him? Yeah. Yeah, I think the kids commissioned somebody. Yeah. So paint. our chief does not normally wear a king's robe <laughs> or whatever that is. That yeah. you're aware of. Yeah, and there's also all sorts of stress balls. I mean, let me stress them out because there's like <laughs> 15 or 20 stress balls back there. <laughs> this place is pretty stressful. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Over to Toad. Moving on. News. Uh, news. So actually, yeah, so we have the rock slide, big rock slide on Highway 97 in between um, uh, Summerland and Peachland in our area. So that's the main route up our valley. And it's uh, fucking up everything, essentially. It's, it's screwing up everything. It's real bad. It is. Yeah. yeah so it's a massive rock slide. And basically this highway goes along uh, kind of this, this edges, big rock bluff and this, this huge steep bank on the edge, edge of the lake. And um, part of that slide when that occurred, huge section, like I think they said like 13,000 metric tons or something, mm-hmm. big amount, uh, or it's just kind of hanging there. So a huge slab um, fractured, and there's like one to five meter gaps. Mm-hmm. So they're obviously pretty afraid that the whole thing could come down. Um, so, you know, last time we were talking about mutual aid and deployments and helping other communities. That locks us right out of it um, for now. If we had to go north again, uh, we have pretty long detours um, for our area where we're tacking on a few hours of drive time. Yeah. So definitely affects us. And then for in my job, EHS, um, it really affects us. So we've got some alternate routes for non-patient transports. However, that's our main artery to our major trauma hospital um, and also for um, uh, cath lab procedures and uh, stroke bypasses, things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it definitely affects us. Uh, we do have some things in place, of course, to see if we can get fixed wing or helicopter. 
and um, working with highways and the EOC to maybe open up that little single lane just for emergency traffic uh, if necessary. But of course, it's still hit and miss if it's safe enough or not. So yeah, it's one of the, one of the big things affecting our community. Yeah, this is definitely isn't unique in that um, this is like once every couple of years we have either a rock slide or a wildfire that closes that section of the road. So it's not a big thing that happens by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm almost wondering why they don't put a whole alternate part of the highway in <laughs> that's bypassing that area. But yeah. The amount of money they spend on that section of the road. I think uh, like the local MLA keeps pushing for that saying like we need to have an alternate like not what they put in place right now like there's four service roads that they're saying are an approved alternate road or uh, mm-hmm. route and i mean one of them we actually took it took one of them the other day um our family has a cabin uh, like kind of right up from the rock slide like miles up but uh so the access point is beyond the rock slide but there's a back way that you can basically go from Summerland all the way over to Princeton, the back way, and then up and around. And they've dubbed that an approved route. Mm-hmm. And the bottom side is really good. Like, you can almost do highway speeds. It's really good. Uh, and then you have to go the up and over, and it's terrible. Yeah. And there was people on, like, motorcycles, like street bike motorcycles, that were trying to pass through there. Um, it was, like, little like Honda Civics. And they have no business being there. There's like rocks on the road like this. And sure, they're like passing um, a greater every once in a while, but um, there's no there's no reason why cars should be going on that. It's just that is not that should not be an approved route. I mean, better than some of the other options, but it's still it's it's adding hours and hours to uh, travel. And yeah, brutal. Yeah, and there's a lot of things with that too. You know, like I mean, the dust gets pretty atrocious sometimes. Absolutely, well. visibility shit. Um, and then because everybody wants to still travel and drive those routes, mm-hmm. uh, the increase for accidents and other issues, uh, and rescues now, and that puts us going up these horrible roads. Absolutely. Uh, and the wildfire risk is so huge. Yeah. You know, like they've advertised, you know, yes, it's, it's a high risk route, et cetera, et cetera. But people are stupid. The so, moment that you say that you, this is an approved route, no green light, they're all going. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I was thinking about as I was driving up there is, like, like I travel, you know, backcountry often, mm-hmm. and so, like, this was, like, literally a highway to me, but I'm watching other people drive, and it's it's so sketchy, and trying to see, like, I come around a corner, and, like, there's, it's dirt, right, so there's no road lines, and, like, we're way off to the right-hand side, and here comes somebody pushing, like, way across the center line, I can't move over any further and we're almost touching mirrors. So like they're driving so quick and like breaking so late. I mean, this is an accident waiting to happen. And then how do you get resources way up there? So like it's, there's, there's no cell, there's zero cell cell phone service. Mm -hmm. They do have some of the, uh, like aim, aim roads. Uh, they are up there patrolling. So they have radio comms, but I wonder in like the EOCs and everything else that's been going on with that, like what are they talking about for road rescue? Because that's not an approved area for anybody. So is Summerland going to look after a portion of that? Is Peachland? Is anybody? Or is this just free for all? And if there's an accident up there, nobody's coming. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically 
we're still under the state of emergency. HAP, even. Province. So yeah. HEP would cover whoever gets tapped. Absolutely. But, you know, as chiefs and administration, like people, they, these questions need to be asked and talked about right now. Yeah, quickly. Like, yeah. You know, I, I think the last time this happened was um, actually another rock slide was right before winter. Yeah. Because I remember trying to drive over the same pass in the winter time. And I was like, or the similar passes. Same, basically the same area. Um, so right now it's wildfire season, but within two months, it's going to be winter season. Yeah. yeah. To, and if this is still ongoing, because you said it's going to be a cliff for a while. It, it sounded like if all reports through our EOC, it sounded like it's going to be a while. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I feel it's going to be winter. And now you had the winter driving on yeah. a country road, dirt road mm-hmm. to all that. It's going to be yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. No, anyways, that's affecting us again in this area. But mm-hmm. um, So last uh, podcast there, we got cut short from a fire call. Um, we were talking about uh, the structure fire that you guys are on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll just uh, touch base with that again and let the, that story kind of wrap up. So Ash, you want to take that? Yeah, we'll, we'll basically wrap up last podcast, which uh, was the structure fire that wasn't really much of a structure fire, which is lucky. Um, and then we did have another one soon, soon following, but, uh, sort of to pick up or we'll recap, uh, we got on scene. There's some pretty heavy smoke showing from, um, the Charlie side of, of the structure. Um, it's gated and fenced everywhere. So you can't get easy access to the back side of the house. Um, I'm doing my, my quick perimeter as far as I can see, um, um, it's like really smoky outside. It was kind of like the height of the wildfire season here locally. Like right now we're, we're nice and back to, you know, blue, blue sky. Everything's clear. It was really smoky. Um, and you, you can still like, it, there was a column of black coming off of the back. Um, so I go up to the front and you can see in the front window, there's a pretty big picture window next to the door. And it looked really hazy inside the house. And yet, but I couldn't really make much out because it was dark inside the house, like pretty hazy. And I can hear this dog losing its shit. It was like one or two. I couldn't quite tell. Um, and again, I could see the homeowner's pickup truck uh, was in the driveway. Uh, so I got the first crew to run around to the back uh, with the hose line. So they had to get through a gate, uh, get around to the backside, and then report what they what they saw there the next two engine uh was going to be going through the front front door um and as the next two engine was arriving there's this dog is like losing its shit now at the door like it's like like barking scratching i'm like well i don't have any tools i literally just taught forcible entry and like using your boot it should never be an option but in in my mind at the moment you start to you know risk versus reward or whatever right and um if there's an occupant inside and this dog is now losing his mind um i want to put eyes in there like too too sweet uh so i i controlled the door handle uh did did the old uh, donkey kick and got the door open and just kind of crouched down and looked uh, one dog ran out right away and the other one was still cowering in a corner. Uh, so as soon as the team got to me, I said, Hey, there's a dog over there. Let's get that out of there immediately and let's start an interior search. Uh, so Kevin and a partner went in and quickly checked every room in the house. Luckily, it was just the dog that was found. Um, at that time, I'm getting answers back from the back. 
Um, it was a fire that started outside on the deck. There was some debris that was there, and we weren't quite sure what started the debris on fire, but it started there, ran up the outside of the house, got up into the eaves, and was starting to go in inside of the attic. Uh, so some quick water application, luckily, from the neighbor, who was just happened to have a garden hose uh, from his house, was hitting it from there. So it didn't actually spread inside of the eaves. Uh, and then we just did a quick knockdown and mop up. Uh, and then a thorough inspection um, inside and out. We sent a crew up into the attic to have a look there. Uh, and again, there was zero spread there. So nice. uh, like really fast work. Um, I think we, all of that happened within four or five minutes. Like it was like rapid succession. So it, it definitely worked out really well. Um, if the neighbor wasn't home, that whole scenario would have been completely different. Um, yeah, we, we basically got uh, a fan going. Uh, vet, uh, we got the vent going in the house. At that time, the homeowner came home in his girlfriend's vehicle with his girlfriend. So they they were away. He actually saw us on his uh, ring camera. And he says, I was trying to talk to you guys. Like, like, holy crap, what is happening in my house? Yeah, he says he recognized me in the ring camera. And he's like, ah, I couldn't quite tell what you're doing. And then I could tell what you were doing. <laughs> um, but he was super, super thankful. Both, both his dogs were good. Um, you know, his house could have went up in flames. Yeah. So he was really, really happy that uh, he still had a house to come come back to. Um, yeah, so I think we were may- maybe on scene for 30 minutes. It was quick, quick in and out. So that one was really, really good. And then we wrapped up the week with another structure fire. So that seems to be the theme. Uh, we're not structure fires with little ring cameras, doorbell cameras. Eh? Yeah. From all the uh, fire deployments. That's right. You know, like, people are chatting to people. Oh, Scott, yeah, Scott was getting chatted to. Tons of video footage uh, that pop up all the way. Yeah. That, so. Pretty yeah, which is which is pretty neat. Um, we uh, uh, later on in the week we got uh, toned out to a structure fire. Um, didn't really have an address. It was somebody who could see it, and there was a couple of houses in this one section. Um, so they just said, like, we could see heavy smoke. Uh, so I'm I'm responding. I get close. And already I'm starting to think, I know where this is. And I, I couldn't really tell like what the addresses are, because again, in, in this area, the addresses are a little bit funny. So like my, my size up as I'm getting there, um, like this gentleman has a nickname <laughs> and I didn't want to blast that over the radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I did. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I, mean, I kind of smirked. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I should have said it anyway. No, and uh, you know, it was like, we don't normally say people's names, but it's the yeah. easiest way because there's no address. Absolutely. And, you know, we know that we know that house. It's, it's kind of a, you know, I guess a problem house in the yeah. past. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best, like, because I mean, there's, there's certain things to it that we need to know. So that's, you know, yes. I'm just like, as I'm getting closer, I'm like, is this someone's house? And you're like, yes. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So now right away, mm-hmm. we have a different plan. Well, not a different plan. We have a plan, but now we know how far away water is and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I really had no bones about saying his name over there. Yeah, no, no, for sure. If it doesn't have an address, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you definitely have to give give something. So what I was doing, I got myself on scene. I got a. There was a couple of people. I'm like, I gave the size up of what what we had, so you guys knew like what the structure was, the state of the fire, uh, and then there was three people that were running away from the structure uh so i quickly wanted to go to them and see what uh like a why were you so close to the structure is there anybody else there so i got in touch with 
each of them individually and they all gave me the same thing. No, there's nobody inside. No, there's nobody inside. I'm like, okay, you know, perfect. And I'm about to reach back out and let these guys know like, Hey, it's, you know, the first long driveway. Um, and that's when Scott's like, is it this guy's house? I'm like, yeah, copy that. So, um, yeah, the engine roll rolled in and <laughs> the tactic on this one, because of a, where it was with limited water B, um, it's a bit of a derelict house. It's a bit of a problem house. The um, the host, yeah. So many hazards, um, which actually dispatch came over and gave us uh, um, like an RCMP update of, oh, good. of potential um, you know, hazards that could have come along with it. Um, and we were getting some pretty decent ember transfer uh, and it's obviously forest fire season. Uh, so, uh, the initial call was, I just want to protect everything else around this. Let's not turn this into a larger event than it already is. The house, even though it wasn't fully involved when we first arrived on scene, uh, there was no repair. There, there was no coming back from it. So, um, you know, you have to do that triage. Like, what is important now? And stopping it from, you know, and any further damage elsewhere. So the first truck was you guys, right? Yeah. And the same thing on the truck. I said, you know, like because the way that approaches you can see that fire as you're driving you have to drive past the fire to get to the driveway to drive into the fire um so as we're we're approaching i'm looking at it and i'm basically going to size up i was driving by I'm like well and you had already said like um kind of surrounding ground yeah. um concentrating on the exposure so we had a discussion concentrate exposures make sure there's no grass fires um extension of into the wildland anything like that yeah um so then we arrived on scene um, and again, limited water. Um, and one of our tenders was actually out on deployment, which right. didn't really make much of a difference because we, because we did hit the um, did hit the hydrant. Um, hydrant was a little farther away than the, the second engine realized, so they actually stretched their line, um, <laughs> ran out of hose. Um, I kind of jerry rigged that into like just a like a portable hydrant. So I, like we ran the hose from the hydrant. Um, we thought it might assist us in the water um, supply, yep. just having a little closer for the tender day to fill up from. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is with the friction loss and the hydrant pressure in that area, it actually didn't assist it us, us at all. So we ended up uh, kind of not using that yeah, uh, kind of portable hydrant we built and then uh, just drew it directly from the hydrant. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely, you know, on me. Uh, the, it, I, requested the second engine to capture the hydrant uh and like what i was after was for them to get it prepped for the water tender uh because i i knew we were going to be shuttling so to start with like we weren't even worried about the house yet so until we got that that uh, water tender on scene with a bladder dropped or two which is what we actually ended up doing um we were just going to be conserving the water that we had uh so i figured hey let's get you guys like drop off a guy get that uh get that hydrant tapped and ready to rock and then come in here and we'll advance manpower. That's not as clear <laughs> as I may have said it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, yeah, like Rob was listening to what I was saying. I mean, there's no world where you'll be able to lay in from the hydrant to where we were, but Hey, I mean, I said, let's capture that hydrant. So he laid, he went and laid, laid into the hydrant. So, uh, I mean, that's definitely on, on me. I mean, the only harm was we, drained the hose bed so it looked really really good when you guys got back to the ball uh, it actually it actually worked out well because we were going to do that that, that night, night anyways because yeah. that was our practice night and mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> that night we were going to 
take apart the hose beds and uh, kind of relay everything because you know we've had a lot of fires lately and uh, deployment and dirt and yeah. you know so we actually we just got to jump on it. So yeah, I took some guys back to the hall while the fire was kind of wrapping up and yeah. we relayed the whole hose bed. Yeah, so it looked really, awesome. And, and wash all the hose. And, yeah, everything was great. So, I mean, out, outside of having to do that, which, like Scott said, we were going to do anyway, um, no no, no real harm. Um, so that was, in essence, about the excitement of the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Go ahead. I was going to add one thing we, <clears throat> we've never really done before. We've actually, we actually brought the bush truck in. Mm-hmm. Um, our little portable, yeah, yeah. Uh, our, our little side by side, because again, our other bush truck was out on, was out on deployment. Yeah, correct. Um, we brought the the side by side in, and it actually did tactical patrols of the neighborhood um, mm-hmm. because because of that ember transfer and because of the wildfire danger mm-hmm. um, and where we were, we're in an inter- intermix area. Um, we actually sent the little uh, side by side ripping around uh, the neighborhood for probably about a good kilometer out. Yeah, just looking for any spot fires. Um, just because there was so much ember transfer when that fire was in, in the full rock phase, um, and I don't think we've ever turned our mind to that on just a single structure fire. No, usually, you know, we turn our mind to that on uh, a wildfire coming towards us, but never on yeah. like a single structure fire where it's going to go. So, mm-hmm. I think that was something that we should definitely think about in the future when we're, if there's ever a structure fire in the summer and it's in the middle of an interface intermix area. So, yeah, yeah. and I mean, coming off the back of. Um, the Twin Lakes fire, uh, and that's what started a structure fire. Is what started that. Yeah. I mean, we were on scene and we were actually actioning the fire. Where way out there, there is no structure protection, uh, so it was just a full full rock structure fire allowed to do whatever it was going to do. So, um, but still, like yeah, having that in the back of our minds, um, it's great. We've got this piece of equipment that is super agile. It can rip around like they. I think they were maybe ten minutes, and they 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 did a patrol of. Uh, up into the subdivision, all along the ridge, like they were everywhere that they needed to be, um, and they've got water suppression or uh, fire suppression. So if they did see some spot fires mm-hmm. kicking off, they were able to to action it quickly, right? Yeah, and it gave us two extra, you know, like manpower resources if we needed it, uh-huh. um, like quickly. They can come back and help us too, right? Yeah. So it gave them something to do rather than just park there. Um, uh-huh. It wasn't busy work in any in any way. It was it was just. You know, Doing that tactical patrol, yeah, um, that is definitely something that I think a tactic we've adopted from from doing all these um, deployments lately. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Speaking of adapting some tactics, uh, because of the nature of the fire, um, and you know the fact that we didn't want to get close to it, because even at the very end there were some things, um, some safety concerns that were stopping us from approaching. Uh, e- even once we had. 99% of it extinguished um, rather than going up and being, you know, face first in some of the mop-up stage. Uh, we actually ran uh, some sprinklers uh, basically just to, yeah. just to squash any um, additional fire, keep, keep everything protected. Um, yeah. It worked out, re- you know, really, really well. Um, There's like a basement and some concerns again, mm-hmm. that we didn't want to, Plenty of firefighters in danger. Uh, so yeah, a couple of wildland sprinklers. We just had a couple of ground spikes and uh, ran it right off the hydrant because now that we're not laying into the driveway, it was actually I think what three lengths, four lengths. Uh, yeah, it's about five, five or six, I think. So oh, okay, so yeah. about six hundred feet. But yeah. um, 
You got to go to a creek bank. Yeah, but it went through the bushes rather than mm-hmm. around the drive. If, it went, if yeah. it went around the driveway, it would probably be about a 1,200-foot lake. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 600 feet of forestry line, so inch yeah. and a half, which um, sounds like a lot, but by our by forestry standards, that's like a, small, a short lay. A very small um, lay. Yeah. You know, and I just, um, which we'll talk about probably um, with the, um, what's that, what was that fire called in Pomola Brook? Was the name of that Park Rill. Park Rill. Park Rill. Um, when we were on deployment, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, we laid two or 300 lengths of hose mm-hmm. to do a water system for um, sprinkling. So in the grand scheme of forestry, five or six lengths of hose is nothing. Yeah. Um, so actually, that's another thing taken from the deployment. Um, my concept of long hose lays has changed. Um, you know, 600 foot hose lay of forestry line is not very far. Um, you know, when it gets to two and a half and inch and a half structure, that's a, that's a pretty good pull. But, yeah. You know. Yeah. So that was about it for that uh, structure fire again. Um, you know, a good structure fire is always good for, you know, morale, um, getting the crew working and like this thing was hot. It was, uh, I mean, it was definitely rocking. Um, but there wasn't a lot of skill that was involved in this one. It was, it was definitely, but it was a lot of watching your, your team's back. Yard uh, work, if you will. Oh, so much yard work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh man. Funny story, true story. So I'm cruising TikTok and one of the old ones comes up from way back in the day of uh, Jason Patton. Yeah. And it's like his first video of like the shit firefighters say. And the first thing is like, what the hell was it? It's like, you either fight fire with a deuce and a half or you go drive an ambulance. <laughs> so, like, everything's two, you know, two and a half inch and then smooth bore and nothing. He's like dragging a fucking like ground monitor. <laughs> it's crazy. But I had a nice chuckle. I'm like, oh man, we do a lot of transitional attack. We do a lot of, you know, exterior water application. Um, and like, I, I understand what he was saying, you know, especially after speaking with him. Like where he says, yeah, there's definitely a time, time and a place for everything. Um, that was definitely more of a right. like you know satire and to make make fun of things. But we do a lot of exterior work, um, and on this one, that's all. Like there was nothing else to be done. So um, as as much as it was like quote fun, it was good good to get the crew working. Uh, it, it's always good for morale. Um, none of these fires were a lot of actual work. <laughs> Which is good. Like you, you don't want that. Absolutely. You do, but you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's our wildfire rating in an intermixed area. That's those scary fires. They can mm-hmm. take off pretty quick, and now you got resources spread everywhere. So yeah. Well, it was thirty-three degrees or something. So yeah, it was yeah. definitely still very much like summertime. Mm-hmm. I say, like, yeah, for for like us in command, that was that was a stressful onset to a fire. Um, like you know, myself being there first as I see, and then uh, once the first first crew got to work, and the second crew lay in, um, Scott jumped on a safety officer right away and took on that that role, which worked out really well. And I would say, like our biggest concern was everything else. Yeah. Like the actual structure fire was, I mean, that was nothing, mm-hmm. right? But uh, everything else surrounding that is now a really big concern. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on. So we wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the deployments mm-hmm. and whatnot. So um, next week we're going to try and bring on some guests, but uh, we want to talk quickly about kind of uh, what the deployment looked like 
um, for you guys, just mm-hmm. with our close deployments, not necessarily the, the little wet one, the far one. Yeah. So. Uh, and I think it's like the non-glamorous kind of work mm-hmm. that people, because even when we hear, when we talk about deployment and we talk about all that stuff, we're, uh, guys are thinking like the big show or which, you know, Todd, you also got to see some of that, um, which we'll talk about, but, um, you know, for the, a lot of times, if you're not there, the opening night or the even second night or second day, um, deployment is a lot of uh, kind of, a lot of prep. You're, you know, you're prepping sprinklers, you're doing triaging. Sorry, you're doing triaging first and you're prepping the sprinklers. Um, you're helping with the sprinkler protection units. Um, you're running routes for safety. Um, you're doing a lot of patrols, uh, you're doing a lot of PR work. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of people and homeowners still hanging around and asking a lot of questions. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, it's, I think everybody has in their mind, like, well, it's, you know, it's like when they first start firefighting, they think it's going to be all like kicking indoors and risking babies and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's rare when you actually have to kick in a door other than Ash kicking in a door. <laughs> um, <laughs> save some dogs. Yeah. Save some dogs. Uh-huh. So what are, what are you guys talking about? Why don't you talk about kind of what this local deployment looked like for you guys and uh, some of the kind of the general tasks that you guys did on this one. So I think I'll talk about the Crater Creek um, fire, which is a Karamias one. Um, so we got there, but we initially got paged out because it, it was kind of sitting up in the mountain for well over almost a month. It sat really up in the mountain. And I think we mentioned last, uh, last time it was, the weather um, weather pattern changed that one kind of that one week, and that's really when we had we had the massive fire in West Kelowna, and it kind of really got crazy. You know, um, the shoe swap, all these places really kicked off. Well, that fire <clears throat> it came from high up in the Cas- not Cascades um, uh, Cathedral Cathedral Mountains, <clears throat> and then kind of pushed its way down into the town of Caramius. Um Didn't make it all the way, but you know, on the night we got called out to assist it was it was definitely coming down really fast um so initially we yeah so initially we we actually did stand by at the hall for them while they were all out um actually there was a bunch of other units out there but um they didn't need us they wanted us in reserve so um part of that that's again that's part of that deployment um doesn't sound like a lot of fun work but we try to figure out where their radios were because they're not a mutual aid department they're like a loose mutual aid department. They're like second line of mutual aid departments. So we don't have their radios, comms on our, on our channels or anything like that. So I'm trying to find radios that they had. Most of their radios were actually out on, on the line. Um, talking to their chief, trying to figure out how, like if a call comes in, how is he going to let us know? So he actually came up with this system where he'd either phone me or he'd, um, he'd call on the um, OFC channel, which is another channel that we use. Um, so that way we, we could hear it and then he would right. send us to where we need to go. So, uh, us and another unit from another town hall. So it was a, there was a tender engine stationed at their, their hall for that opening night. Um, and then we kind of got sent home, um, as the fire kind of settled a little bit and kind of just kind of came down really deep and then kind of sat low in the basin. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next day we got our draw down. Which means that Fortune now wants us to, to head out there and, and help them. So we were actually going to be drawn down the next morning. So the next morning is actually when we got on scene. Um, got on scene, um, started off a little ha- hectic. There were some fires really low on the um, really low in the valley. Um, we ended up doing a lot of patrol work, um, just making sure the fire wasn't jumping guards. Um, just kind of patrolling the engine, and then um, 
they were really concerned about it jumping river because it was a, you know it's a pretty big river. But um, and this was before this fire doesn't jump bodies of water. <laughs> yeah, and this was before the fire jumped like a kilometer over the um, Okanagan Lake. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, even in my mind, I'm like, man, it's pretty long distance for it to jump. But knowing what it can do, like obviously I know it can jump that far. So we actually got tasked with um, going to one of the uh, to two of the different trailer parks, and and by trailer park I don't mean like they're like mobile they're mobile homes or you know like retirees. The one was super fancy. Like it was really it, nice in there. Yeah, it had like a indoor swimming pool. <laughs> it's like it, it was actually more of a resort than anything. Um, retirement resort. Yeah, retirement yeah. resort. Um, so. Our job was to kind of just patrol around there, um, check their water supplies because um, it's again, this is not a, this is not in town. This is a way. So um, both communities that we checked, because uh, there was the two biggest areas that we had to look after, were these kind of two retirement communities. Um, both had their own standpipes. They had their own um, fire protection um, little committees, and. Um, each one had a, kind of a unique way to do it. And it was interesting. So we, we pull up and they hadn't been evacuated yet. They were on alert only. So, um, of course, as soon as the fire truck pulls up and there's a big massive fire burning, um, everybody starts coming out. We have to leave. What are you guys doing here? Um, so we kind of took it. That was our job was to kind of calm everybody down, explain what we were there for, um, ran their water systems, talk to the, the guys that came out to, you know, because they, they want to come out and explain everything about their water, their water supply, which is great. They showed us um, where their hoses were because, you know, they don't necessarily know that we're probably not going to use their hoses um, unless it's a last, last resort. We're going to use our own stuff. But what we do need is water. So um, we ran, the, ran their hydrants. Um, both of them had just done drills the day before because, they, they you know, obviously they saw the fire coming. So both. Um, both resorts actually ran their water system the day before, made sure their pumps were working. Um, they actually, uh, one, of the, one of the communities actually labeled all their portable pumps with any little issues. So one, like said, sticky choke. One said, like, um, hard to pull, like, it's hard to start. Like, like it was actually <clears throat> pretty good, the, the information they put on their pumps, so we would know. Again, <clears throat> probably wouldn't use their actual pumps, but it was good to have them there if one yep. of ours um, didn't work or something. Because in the pinch, like we're gonna we're gonna use whatever we whatever resources we have, right? Mm-hmm. So we kind of drove around the two neighborhoods um, while the rest of the apparatus. Um, we were divided up into a couple of different task forces. Uh, so our task force was was assigned to do these kind of patrols and checking for water. And we weren't even triaging houses yet. We were just you know seeing how the water supply would work and talking to the people. Um, I brought up the Kestrel to show them you know the weather how the Kestrel works. So Kestrel is a weather beater. Um, so we were discussing fire weather and, you know, crossover, you know, if it hits 30 and then below 30 on their relative humidity scale, then we're in crossover. And just kind of explain that to them because, you know, they see fire differently than we do. Like they just see the flames. So they see these trees candling off in the distance, but we're watching what the smoke is doing more. Like, yeah, a tree's going to candle, any tree will candle. Yep. But we were watching the smoke, and the smoke layer was just kind of sitting there and hovering. So we're like, okay, weather's not super active, fire's not super active right now, just kind of sitting there. You know, a tree candling every five to ten minutes is is not really a, a big concern for us, because it's going to happen. Yep. Um, it was actually a, 
as one of our guys said, it's almost a, it's almost a perfectly burning fire because it was it was kind of burning undergrowth. Every once in a while, a tree would candle. By this point, uh, earlier it wasn't. Earlier it was definitely a like rank four or five coming down the mountain. By this point, it was probably about a three hitting four every once in a while. You know, slowly kind of making its way down the mountain, doing what fire should do, kind of wiping out that that undergrowth that and fuel. Yeah, that yeah. fuel. Right, so it was actually almost a perfect fire um, by that point. So we were just there kind of as that second line of defense, first line being the sprinkler protection and all that kind of stuff, and the forestry guys doing their back burns. Um, so that was really our job for almost four or five days, just kind of keeping everybody calm, doing a lot of patrolling, um, triple-checking water supplies and all that kind of stuff, if it did turn on us. And obviously what happened in West Kelowna, that did happen. Um, it turned on them, jumped the lake, and became well, really bad on the other side. Mm-hmm. So that could have easily happened to us because we were in this weird valley, winds, directions going every which way all the time. And, you know, like even, even though you're you're not really triaging, which you'll, I'm sure you're going to talk about with the Park Rail Fire, what you guys mm-hmm. did, <clears throat> but part of that kind of tactical controls is patrolling, you're kind of already triaging mm-hmm. because you're identifying risks not necessarily flagging and triaging yet, but you're identifying risks, your evacuation routes, what routes work, what's potentially defendable or not defendable if something comes that way. So you're already building that plan, right? That's right. And then that works good. You pass that off to a task force leader and go from there. Yeah, we even made some notes because um, while we were doing the kind of walk-arounds, we, you know, we found a, a swimming pool. And then we actually found one uh, one guy came out and he goes, oh, do we have to leave? I said, well, not yet, but, you know, be ready and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're back. Still playing around with our sound here, so. Mm-hmm. Slowly getting we better. We will get better in five to six years. That's right. <laughs> Just in time to retire. <laughs> with all our money. Yeah. <laughs> Bands of money. Uh, I think, Scott, you were just wrapping up uh, talking about uh, running the Castro, talking to um, homeowners in that park. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was like kind of the big, the big takeaway from that kind of deployment. We, you know, a couple of guys in the truck wanted the big action, the big fires, you know, there was fires going on everywhere else. And we were kind of getting the, not another short end of the stick, just a different job. Right. So the job is a job. And our job for that deployment was to act as PR and do those um, kind of, triaging like Todd said it wasn't full triage but it was looking at different places oh I know what I was going to say um, one of the homeowners came out and you know, he was asking if they had to evacuate right away I said no and he said okay good because my brother just had hip surgery and if we have to evacuate I'm going to need help he said he couldn't get him out on his own I said okay so we made a note of that in our notebook and um, when the order did come actually I, I don't know how he got him out but when we went back to the house to help um, they had left so Maybe they <clears throat> saw the kind of the writing on the wall and they, they just left on their own and got some help without us. But we did go back and it was definitely a note that I made in my notebook and I noted the um the address and you know, they were gonna need help to <clears throat> help to evacuate it in the event of an order. So, mm-hmm. so those Which little is things super good information because that, you know that adds a lot to um the issue that could arise during that moment, right? Like mm-hmm. I mean, when those orders are placed, um it's generally, I don't know, hope is the right term, but I guess everybody's hoping that when we cast, give those orders out, 
we want everybody to be able to evacuate on their own and yeah. have their own plan because mm-hmm. their own like they always say like during your your 72 hour evacuation plan or, or safety plan whatever you want to call it the best person to make that plan is you for your household mm-hmm. so if somebody's bedridden um that needs to be relayed off to the EOC or to EHS through 911 and get that basically going. And once it's an order, it's hard because we don't go, ambulance don't go into the order zone. Right. So that complicates things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there is situations where we we can go, but under strict strict rules. Yeah. And that kind of was kind of the theme every morning when we have our safety briefing. Um, we always talk about, you know, um, who has the highest level of medical training, um, who has medical gear on their trucks. Um, I mean, most of us, we have some level of medical gear. Um, but then they would, you know, usually task one of our, our apparatus as a medical unit in the event something happened while we were in the area of the order or the active fire zone. Um, we, you know, we, we would often discuss like, we, now we load them up on the, we'd, we'd load them up somehow in the apparatus and, and bomb out to where the ambulance would be staged. Um, so that was kind of our discussion most mornings. And I think Ash even said, you know, that happened in your guys' scenario. You did, right? you did the scenario where yeah. the firefighter was down. Um, the scenario that we did at the beginning of the year with, uh, with the other, uh, agencies, um, one of the scenarios was a firefighter was injured and we kind of modified the bush truck to remove them. Yeah. I mean, it definitely isn't so ideal <laughs> for patient transport, but, but um, it, is. it is what it is. Yeah. So you just make it work. Right. Uh, we had, you know, we put the stretcher, the, uh, the clam across the back seat of our bush truck and, um, we had uh, I think it was Kevin sitting backwards, basically sat on the center console and like worked on the patient, if you will, uh, from where it happened all the way back to the safe zone, uh, where, where BCHS would have, would have met us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and like we actually in our truck got tasked, uh, on that park rail fire as the medical response team uh, while we were up there uh, because we actually use that truck as our FR truck when it's home. Um, and we didn't have anybody up there as of yet. So, and we actually got a couple of medical calls while we were there mm-hmm. not to jump ahead there, but yeah, it was like, that is like something that needs to happen mm-hmm. every operational period to make sure that you have a medical team. Um, it's going to be for yourself like for uh, firefighters. Um, but also like the reality is even during orders, there's people that stay. <laughs> so if something happens, I mean, you're still going to give care to the people that are staying, mm-hmm. like just because they stayed when there's an order, you don't just, you know, okay, I can't see you. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Like let's go and give care to these people. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's super important with those morning safety briefings about that, like having <clears throat> having those discussions and planning that because part of that discussion may be like, okay, uh, depending ge- geographically where that is, okay, is it safer to just load them in a truck and deal with it, take them to an ambulance staging area? Or can we get an ambulance in there with a crew if it's on active fire zone? Mm-hmm. Uh, or are we calling for a chopper and guiding a chopper into our location and put them on a chopper? Yeah. That's the one. The one nice thing with these forestry calls is that usually mm-hmm. there's choppers flying, right? Sure. But like we talked about last week, smoke wind conditions sometimes that doesn't happen. 
Yes. Yep. I guess uh, we could jump ahead now to the other fire because that pretty much took care of the Crater Creek fire. Just a lot mm-hmm. of uh, patrolling, mm-hmm. a lot of um, triaging and um, like light triaging and PR. Yeah. So why don't we talk about the Park Rail Fire? Um, yeah. We kind of talked about uh, how it kicked off. It started with a, uh, a structure fire on Twin Lakes region. Um, that quickly spread. Yeah, and I, I don't think we have to get too in depth because we're going to have hopefully the people and yes. yeah people yeah, that we're have some next week. Some um, insight, insight there. Or maybe talk about uh, just kind of, just a day. couple of things that that we that we did there. Um, so we were up there. I'd say kind of for the second operational period. So it had already kicked off. Um, they made it through. No, it was the first. It was still the first operational period. They made it through the morning. So the structure fire happened pretty early morning, about 6 a.m., and spread to the wildland, like, quickly. So it was already, like, spreading heavily uh, by the time that we got dispatched, which was kind of mid-afternoon. So day one, um, we go and you know respond to their to their hall to get tasked and it was it was ran very well like i definitely have to give them credit for such a as we all know like the first operational period before forestry is even involved and you're you're just running it as a mutual aid department basically um and what that looks like there's so many people coming and going and to get teams set up to get calm set up and get everything happening uh i really have to give uh willowbrook fire credit they they handled it very very professionally um i reached out to their deputy chief the other day uh and said like like hats off you guys did really really well um we got on scene and we were put into a uh, task force right away. It was, uh, um, we sent our uh, bush truck up and we sent up a water tender. Uh, so those were the apparatus that, that we initially sent. Um, and day one, we were basically on tactical patrol and triage. Um we weren't doing anything more than uh, just doing a quick site site check of each of each uh, you know property, seeing what the threat level was there, um, and kind of getting ourselves familiar with the area. It had already, for the most part, burned itself away from like the main um, like the the main structures that were close by from like the original ignition point, um, but there was always threat of it coming back. Uh, so day day one um, was a lot of triage. Um, we, we would go do a quick triage, um, and then got moved into doing some like actual like true true fire smarting uh, for the second half of the day. So they had uh, this this one spot, Yellowbrook Road. Uh, they got us to go in there, and there's like eight properties on there and the second half of the day was was all was all fire smart so there was not a lot of sprinkler systems set up yet um they had just got an spu dropped but at that point we were just doing like tactical triage and then fire smart um most of the homeowners had left there was still two that were still on scene um and they were very helpful um you know, you, you can run into some of the homeowners that don't 
<laughs> don't want to leave and don't really want you there. These guys were the opposite of that. Very, very, very welcoming. Uh, it kind of gave us a brief of everything that was going on with, uh, with, with their property, and they were very knowledgeable of, about their neighbors. Um, and the way that the fire was coming, there was basically, I mean, it's tough to say this over a camera, but uh, it basically ran up a ridge on one side, it was running to the south, and then there was a bit of a valley that dumped straight down towards Yellow Brick Road. Uh, and that's where all, all of these structures were. So it was, with the proper wind, it was going to be coming straight down the chute. So that that was their like first major, I, I think, point of concern, mm-hmm. um, which then that shifted as the fire progressed. But uh, getting making sure everybody was out, uh, giving the last remaining people um, like a, a real, like, hey, like, we want you out of here because this is getting close. Um, and the one gentleman, he obliged right away. Uh, the other, the other people were, were one of the Scots. <laughs> so he was not about to leave because he generally comes and fights fire with us every summer. He is a private firefighter. Um, <clears throat> but we have ran into him every season. Um, and he does well, awesome work. Not, not this guy. No, not <laughs> or one of our other Scots. Um, there's a crew of two Scots that, have a couple of Dodge pickup trucks and some water on the back and um, like as freelance as it gets, but uh, very, 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 very respectful. Um, They don't, they don't get in our way. They're not asinine by any means. Stop. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to shift for a second from what we're Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, because I was thinking about something while I was away Um, and um, up in the shoe swap, there was a, a big issue with people that wanted to go back to their homes mm-hmm. and fight the fire. And it, the police actually had to get involved, um, put up roadblocks, do a bunch of uh, kind of um, basically stopping people from going back to their homes, uh, you know, really enforcing that order. And then at one point, forestry, from what I understand, because this, this, again, this was on the news and you know, sometimes the news, news is hit and miss. Forestry said if they had their um, not 1001, their um, well, they, S- they S-100. They kept saying the S-100. If they had their S-100, which is kind of an older uh, older <laughs> wildland firefighting thing, um, it's not what we have. We have something slightly different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, they can go back in and they can fight the fire. Um, and that got me thinking that it's kind of an odd thing. Um, I don't know if that was actually true. That's what <clears throat> one of the guys in the blockade said. So one of the guys in the blockade said um, to the people to kind of calm them down, and he was kind of an unofficial guy. Um, if that was true, that was definitely it. It was very unofficial. <laughs> yeah, he was like swearing away. It's funny. Um, so I don't know if that actually was the case that forestry was going to allow them back in um, if they had this course. Now, the course would obviously, I don't know how they're going to suddenly take this course. Um, but it actually got me to think um, while I was on the on the cruise about is there a way to make that work? Because obviously we, like you just mentioned, we have the Scots, the local Scots. And the first night we met them was 2000, the two, uh, 2020, when the Inconeep fire. Yeah. We ran into these guys and. What does it say there? When is your, uh, 2021. 2021. <laughs> the only answer there. Just. Um, and they, you know, <laughs> they were on scene and we were like, 
and because we were on uh, reserve land, um, rules are a little bit different. So the, uh, the 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 native chief allowed them on the reserve land um, to to do the thing. So really, there was no enforcement capabilities from the police, yeah. and they were w- working with us, and they took direction really well. Yes. We actually showed them how to um, do a bump and run, if I remember correctly. We showed them how to load their forestry hose into a bump and run style because yeah. um, they were willing to learn and they were willing to understand. And it got me thinking about, like, if forestry thought ahead in the future, would would something like teaching, like, these remote places, having, a, you know, a group of instructors go around and mm-hmm. teach these people, you know, maybe not S100, maybe not the thing we learned, the wildland structure firefighting course that we learn, but maybe something a little bit more modified, teach them basics. And then when these things, events happen, you, you like kind of send two or three structural protection firefighters out there. Almost as, as again, it's almost like a special forces thing, like where they go out and they teach the indigenous population, like indigenous meaning like the people, the local people yeah. how to fight wars and how to like defend themselves. Same idea would be like you send these, you know, these three, three to four firefighters out in this little kind of a, a group, and they they kind of muster these people together and they lead them and they mm-hmm. they get them to, you know, in a way where they're safe. They're still defending their homes. They're only defending their homes. Or, you know, they're they're not hopefully getting anyone's way. And you know, maybe working with people more than just like no, you're not going in. Because I think when you tell people no, you're not doing this. That's obviously they're going to find a way to get in there. And then they're going to need rescuing probably, or hopefully they get lucky and they, you know, something they, they defend their homes, but it kind of gets rid of that animosity. I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking about that. And then, you know, would there be a way that they could do that safely where they could teach them at least methods of knowing when it's too, it's too far gone. Um, knowing what your pumping capacity is, um, actually understanding what you should be fighting, not, you know, because one thing we did notice, and then in Canadian Fire, we did have another kind of um, uh, kind of rogue element up in the mountains doing their own thing. And, you know, we were watching them and they were, you know, they'd run out into the middle of the forest and try to put out spot fires. Whereas, you know, we, that's like super old tactics that no one does anymore that we're, we will let it come to us now. Save our water, let it burn, you know, burn to the guard. Make it cool away safely. Yeah. yeah, take that time to build a guard, let the guard, you know, let the back burn work, that sort of stuff. I don't know. There's, I don't know if that would work, but you know, maybe if that's going to be because it's obviously not going to go away. These interface fires are going to, or intermixed fires and interface fires are going to keep happening. Yeah, I think that's you know, I was thinking the the exact same thing. So, this unofficial spokesperson of we the people up there, um, he's actually a bit of a TV personality. Uh, he has his own uh, TV show. Um, so, I mean, people listen to him. Uh, he's been a local there for basically his entire life. Um, people listen to him because he has a TV personality as well. And like when he's saying these things about, Hey, like the LBC wildfire, if we had our S 100, they would allow us in like, and same as Scott was saying, like my brain starts thinking, I'm like, like, how would that work? So, <clears throat> you can't be on an active fire ground unless you have these credentials. So maybe like that. So a workaround that they like, now you have the credentials so you, you can be there. Now you can't like, how would you how, like, how would you activate or how would you work alongside these guys? So to shift back to where we were, 
<clears throat> they were enforcing the evac area that once you leave, you couldn't come back. Yeah. So because the Scots were up in their home area, they didn't have to leave. They were always inside. So um, his like actual house is right dead in the center of the town. So he was safe, but he's got like friends and family that were over where we were. So like he was over there looking after them. They've got animals that they were trying to get out of there. So he was kind of like being the guy that stayed on site and allowed everybody else to like like get everything prepped and leave. Um, and then he was going to stay. So I think in in this case he's like yeah as long as I can get water and I can stay here I can still like do the best that I can do. But going back to the shoe swap, it was exactly the same tactics. Like you 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 start to see these videos come out and. Like they were talking about how they had crazy nights and they, they were out fighting fire all night. And these videos are of them way off in the black, you know, trying to extinguish small spot fires or like small, small areas that are like still on fire. I'm sure they, they also ran into like the fire front, which would have been crazy up there. But I think that's where if, if you can get some of that knowledge, like don't go out there. Like that's already burned. It's still going to be active for months to come. Like basically until snow falls, you're, you're going to be seeing these little small areas. Like even where, where we are, we were driving home today and I'm looking up on the mountainside and you can see like there's active fire still. Mm-hmm. Is it a threat? No. Could it be? Sure. But we're, we're not going to be traipsing way out there to go try to put this out because there's, like many factors that can be very, very dangerous to us. Right. So um, I think getting some education to these people is, is very, very good. Um, what would be first and foremost, but then also like, what are the liabilities and like kind of, how does that look? Scott? Yeah. I think the education first and they need some like leadership, mm-hmm. you know, like lead them, but kind of like guide them. Like to, liaison. Yeah, li- a liaison. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, that's what they, that's what they you know, kind of think of that model from the military they just guide the indigenous population to where they think they should be. Then it's not going to be perfect. Um, and then kind of, again, back to the Vancouver fire, um, there was, again, so we had, the, we had the Scots doing their thing. We kind of guided them as best we could. Um, we weren't officially guiding them. And then there was another set of individuals, and they had, uh, like, front-end loaders. And I remember hearing, because I flipped the channel over to the um, helicopter, um, support like the basically the eyes in the eye in the sky and uh listen i heard say if someone could organize these guys we would have a really nice fire guard but because no one could organize them they were like i, I was watching them they were way off in the, in the distance um kind of an open grassland and they were taking buckets of dirt with their loader and they're kind of driving towards the fire and hitting the brakes and it's kind of hucking dirt at the fire with these massive bu- buckets right because no one's ever trained them on hey if we all work together these four massive loaders could have dug a fire guard across this big open field and it would have been over. Yeah. I mean, the fire would have been over, but that section of the fire would have been well controlled. But there was, it was an inefficient way of doing it. And, you know, no one really, no one really took it on. Um, actually, I think Carl was still with us at the time. And Carl and I were trying to drive out there to go talk to them. But by, by the time it was kind of, we were trying to get out there, it was too late. And they were already like doing their thing. And, yeah. Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting topic because, like, you go back a number of years and this always happens. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, I remember what fire was, but it was a good number of years ago. It was all over the media again. Uh, 
there's a whole pile of these ranchers um, and forestry workers, and like they lived in these communities. They're active forestry workers. They had all their certificates because they would get contracted out for certain fires. Mm-hmm. But now this fire was threatening their area, so they contacted forestry. Hey, we got a crew. We got to have equipment. This is what we're doing. Nope, stand down. Don't do it. Yeah, and we're basically told no, don't do anything. You guys need to leave. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, no, we're not. <laughs> yes. We're going to stay here and defend. No, no, you have to leave. No, we're not using you. So now it seems the communication is getting better with forestry about this because way back in 2003, that was one of the biggest things that came out of the big review after that massive fire um, yeah. in Kelowna because they had all these contractors and people coming in from all over the place, but they didn't use any of the local knowledge, yes. any of the local contractors for the local knowledge aspect of it. So now it seems like they're, they're finally getting back into it. Um, and I think like you guys were saying, like keep going forward, keep that momentum going and find out a way to actually liaise and communicate with these guys. Say, Hey, next fire season, if you guys have this, this is your liaison. If something comes mm-hmm. on, this is, this is how we need to attack this. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be super beneficial because there's a ton of people out there that have these resources, uh, have heavy equipment and know what they're doing. And then there's the people that have some small resources, like just some tanks and pumps with a little bit of common knowledge. They can still be a great asset for small areas, as long as you have that liaison that's safe because we see wildfire is very safety oriented. And, but again, with a little bit of communication and forethought, this Mm -hmm. could totally benefit. Sure. But there's always, there is that risk of a total, Chaos. Yes. Yeah, you know, if they had like a like a unit, like a because right now they have a three pack. Forestry has a three pack that goes around their initial attack, but they're really focused heavily on the forestry part. Like they're, they're you know, they're going to do backburn. They're going to do um, calling the um, bombers. They're, they're doing that kind of thing, right? If they made like a unit where it's like you have a you have a guy that can do the backburn, so the forestry expert, and you have the structural protection expert, and then maybe one other person that kind of is a, like a leader. That'd be pretty unique that they could just kind of get like kind of airdropped in in these in these places where they know they're gonna have these little pockets of almost like a resistance force like they have these yeah. like little crew of people that are willing to work and as long as, long as they've been trained beforehand because when you really think about like I don't want to throw shade on us or on any volunteer department but when you really think about us you know we are trained in firefighting but we're trained in structure firefighting we train four to five times a year on wildland firefighting. Lately, we've been training more because it's been a bigger thing, but really a lot of these smaller departments, they're only training one or two times a year on these big wildland fires. Yeah. And then they're getting thrown in the mix because they're trained. So it's like, yeah. you know, are they really going to much higher train? Than yeah, they, they have the Gucci gear and they, some of them, some of them don't have Gucci gear and they have the equipment and some of the equipment is, you know, very true. So just because just they have fire department behind their name, does that make them that much better than these other people that could just be trained in the same way, right? Especially like you said, Todd, they're, they're, a lot of them are foresters. Um, you know, like we have a local, one of our members. Uh, he's a he's a he's a logger. Mm-hmm. I defer to him on everything trees. <laughs> when we're out in the wildland, I'm like, you tell me what needs to happen because you you know about what what's going on with trees. Like I know stuff about fires, and so is he, obviously, but. Um, when it comes to basically the wildland and it's just in that that kind of heavy tree area, it's, he's keep telling me what's going on. Right? Yeah. There you go. Scott, be the liaison for the uh, 
the new uh, RRF, the Redneck Resistance Force. I want to call it Green Beret. Red Beret. Redneck Reaction Force. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know what's funny? I get sucked, sucked into these Facebook groups. And I, I think I was saying something similar last week, but uh, you're watching all these people. So there's like Firewatch 2023, and there's a thousand of these groups up and down the province. And um, they're like, yeah. So as soon as Avery, the guy says, hey, do do this and get your S100 and you can come, come back out. So now everybody's like, oh, like now I have to pay for this. Like, you know, the government's going to make me pay for this. And I, I am slowly learning. I haven't posted on Facebook in probably two, two odd years, but I've typed many a post and I'm like, nope, <laughs> back away. But I had typed out, why don't you go join your local, you know, volunteer or pay on call fire hall. And like some of these guys, like, and I've actually mentioned this to one of the Scots. I was like, just be open about it. Be like, hey, like, I probably can't commit to everything, but like wildfire season, I'm I'm all in. You know, for X amount of things, I'm all in. And with like in our local area in British Columbia, with the playbook, which is now the the minimum standards, there's means where you can have these kind of people within your organization that don't need to be dialed up on all of the interior structure firefighting, but you can still have them on and they can learn about pumps. They can learn about the safety side of it. They can be dialed on forestry. Um, and you know, you, you can really bolster and like now you're, you're not being asked to pay for it. You're going to, you're going to get paid in a lot of places to take these courses. Um, and you show up and you might get a couple of bucks to train. So everybody, I don't want to say wants to be a hero, like, but they, they get that like, hero mindset of like, I'm here to step up now. Yeah. So like when the shit happens now, I'm ready to step up. Well, okay, great. Like, thank you so much for your service. If, if you will, but where, like, where are you the other 11 months out of the year? Like, great. Like you have what it takes, like clearly because you're, you're out there, you're stepping up. That's amazing. Why don't you do it for the rest of the year? Even if it's in a, like lesser, um, you know, capacity than a full interior firefighter. There's still opportunity there. Yeah. You know, I think back in the back in the day, really back in the day, the fire chief was able to just go into the local bar and recruit people to like fire officers or whatever. Yeah, that was like literally a lot of them. Fire chief back then was allowed to do that. Just you know, he walked into like you, ten guys are you know, wildland firefighters. Mm-hmm. So you know, should we go back to that? No. no. <laughs> Could we maybe meet them halfway? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had multiple people that were ex-members contacting us right in the middle of all this. Hey, can I come back? It's like, well, you could have in May when we were training all this. But right now, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't come back. Um, but maybe in May, next May, you come back to the pillar. Like yes. you said. And, you know, would make some modifications. I mean, we don't have to make modifications because it is in the playbook. Um, yeah, because yeah. one thing you do you need to go on a one-on-one deployment, which is, it's a little different because you're in town, it's not a wildland deployment, you need your exterior certs to be a wildland yeah. uh, deployment. But to be in town under authority of jurisdiction, do you need to have exterior? Because there's 
options for auxiliaries to just drive truck, to just yeah. do traffic control, to just maybe to just do wildland. Mm-hmm. No, because that's one course. I mean, the course is, you know, four days long, or sorry, four practice nights. But that's not that big of a time commitment, really. But then what do we do? Then you have to find them gear. Um, and I think some of these people, maybe, the reason why they're living out in the woods, aren't the best at following um, command. <laughs> so they're not really interested in joining a, an organized department. So, yes. again, that's back to the whole, like, you kind of have to figure out, like, how far you can push them. And I think that goes, again, back to that whole, like, mindset of, like, special forces thing where they're like, okay, we know we're not going to get the, you know, these guys aren't going to listen to everything we say, but hopefully we can guide them down the right path to be mostly safe and fight these fires. Um, I think we have, we have seen some of that this year, right? With easy fortune. So it's not like, and, and even just being like in 21 there, like if somebody can get a hold of those guys, give them some, some short little commands and some information and organize them a bit, they will be used. Sure. And we're already seeing it. Yeah, so anyway, just to wrap up, uh, uh, talking about like, what we did loosely, again, we don't want to go too in-depth um, up at the park, Park Real Fire. Uh, so day day one for us was, yeah, very, very much just prep work. Day two, um, we got broken into a team, um, and we were, so BC Forestry uh, uses an app um, for a lot of their structured triage. Uh, it's super fast and easy. Um, day two, we actually got an SPS on, on site. So things started to, to like become a bit more official. It was still like fast and loose. And I'd say until day three, things really got organized. But by day two, things were rolling out a, a little more like proper, I would say. Everything went really well day, day one. Again, hats off. But like things were becoming like a real deployment now um, as the like the, the infrastructure was getting set up there, uh, command posts were getting set up, uh, added resources were coming in, and you're actually getting task task force. And, uh, you know, we had multiple TFLs on on site. So thing, thing, things were working well there. So, um, yeah, we started to get... I just turned out those acronyms. Right. What's the TFL? Task force leader. What's the SPS? Structural protection specialist. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. So we started to get these these you know people coming in, um, and we were breaking ourselves into task force underneath a task force leader, and the task force leader responds to the SPS. So the chain of command was now set up properly, right? Where day day one they had uh, the deputy chief was running ops from their fire station, and like. It was like their span control was dog shit. <laughs> and I, I said that. And I'm like, but you, you handled it well. Um, and like, because, you know, resources kept coming in and it was so dynamic. I, I think there was a lot of time of like busy work because there was so much happening. So they kind of got people to go do some things quickly. And that's actually how day two started. Um, I think they were, they, they got us to go and do some busy work because there was other people that had started earlier or were coming off at nights and they were wrapping up their, their task. Um, but yeah, basically day, day two was a whole bunch of triage, uh, and then which turned into, uh, sprinkler protection. So working with, uh, a couple other local municipality departments, uh, in the task force, we, we went and deployed two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
seven structures uh, for the majority of the day, um, getting sprinklers and pumps set up. Uh, and then you, we wrapped up the day using the app, um, grabbing photos and getting the info set up and sent into Victoria. So anybody on the fire ground could have access to, uh, where these pumps were, where these sprinklers were, what all of these uh, houses are going to be defendable. And, you know, again, it's funny. I think, uh, Scott, you and I both were doing the same thing. Like everything was defensible. And I mean, there was one house that like you would flag as, as this is a no go, but yet it's also very defensible. So it's, it's a challenge. So in like, for me, structure triage, I don't want to put a lot of resources here, like sprinklers, because it's, it doesn't meet the mark. Well, I, I, I know what forestry is looking for, and it doesn't meet, meet the mark. Like, the guy will basically say was, like, a hoarder. There was shit everywhere. Um, would be near impossible other than throwing a, an entire, you know, structure, uh, sprinkler protection unit at this one, this, this one property. Um, however, when you start looking around at the fuel load that surrounds the property and the egress, I mean, there was a fire hydrant right outside of his house. Is this a defensible house? A hundred percent it is. So triage wise, we flag that as, as a no, but is it defensible? A hundred percent. So I struggled that like with that. And actually I, I found myself with our team. Um, we were, uh, to wrap up the day, we were um, tasked to go out to kind of the end of like the protection area, um, the op- operation area, sorry. Um, and there was a group of houses down low. And then I knew of one up high. And then I learned of another one way out back. And it was going to be to input the information in, into the app. So my, my TFL got me to go up there. So we put eyes on the bottom structures and then we're at what I thought was the last one. And it wasn't on, like, there was no address down at the bottom. Everybody else had, like, awesome address markers. But there was a very well-maintenance road that went to the left. And we're sitting there in the truck. And I say to the guys, I'm like, man, like, my, my gut tells me there's another house back here. Um, you know, there, there's there's no markers. There's nothing but this. This road is just too, too nice to be just an access road to, right. to kind of nowhere. So I'm like, what I don't want to do, and again, comms is terrible. So like they knew we were up there, but they didn't know how, how far back. So I don't want to go rogue and just start going way off in the bush. But also my gut's telling me there's something there. So like I came up with a plan. I'm like, all right, guys, we're we're going to go no more than, I think I said like four or 5K um, down this entire road, which turned out to be like a kilometer maybe. Um, and there was... A house with multiple outbuildings but also while i get out there here's our sps <laughs> so i get on scene and i'm i'm looking so our uh structural protection specialist is out there with um a couple crew that showed up with uh, uh with spus from like way away like up in mckenzie so like they're a, a long ways away spu is uh sort of protection unit yeah. So we we park, we walk up to uh to see um Sarah, is it sprinkler or structure protection unit? Oh we'll find it out. I think it's structure protection unit. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. Structure protection unit. Structure protection unit. Yeah, which is yeah, which is a bunch of structure. I think it just sounds better when you say structure protection unit. Yeah. 
Yeah, in fact. Um, so we walk up there and like, I don't want to be the one being like, what are you doing here? <laughs> but like, we're tasked to do this. Well, there was a little bit of overlap um, from RTFL to the other one. And so ours didn't know that they were up here. We didn't know that they were up here. Um, but so you know, we're all there chatting. She asked like, Hey, like, what are you guys doing? I said, Hey, this is what we were tasked to do. She's like, Oh, have you done any of the bottom ones? I'm like, Nope. I wanted to start as far, far away and then work our way back, back towards safety. She's like, yeah, great. But while we're standing there and I don't know if she had seen any of our updates yet or whatever, but she kind of smiles and like looks around. Like, hey, I just want to ask you guys, like, if we had rank three or four fire coming towards us here, knowing where where we are, so you have what you have. So that wasn't very much. It was our bush truck, no no water tender, and the protection unit crew with none of their gear yet. It's <laughs> so like, would you feel comfortable staying here with rank three or four coming towards you? And I'm like, with what we have right here. She's like, uh, no. Now we'll say with your with your whole task force. I'm like, okay, so that changes everything. We kind of look around, and I'm like, what does she want me to say? Does she like? I know forestry safety minded. I'm like, ah, fuck it. I'm like, yep. She's like, I thought you would say that. Okay, good. This is where we see the fire coming. Like, this is going to be one of our like major points of concern. So knowing that we are working in a comfort level where you guys feel like you would be okay to be here. Um, it's good. So that's all she, she really wanted to know, which like I then relate to her, like every morning when I got new people on my crew, um, I, I would ask them what their level of comfort was. Um, so when we were working the other side of the fire, like there was zero comms, like you had to go and Scott, I'll, I'll let you take, take that in a minute. But like there was zero comms. You had to drive way back or way up high and then hope somebody was on the other ridge. So you could go like line of sight. Um, so like we were out there kind of working alone and check-ins were like not over radio. You would send the text and then go around this one area and hope the text would get out. And, uh, the one TFL Tony was like, Hey, like you did really good. I got your text every time. Like, thank you so much. Like, you know, you guys being way over there and then knowing that I was getting these like really took us like a pretty big stress load off. Like, yeah, thank you. Great. Um, but, um, we, I would chat to them at the start of every shift and say like, because we're way over here on our own. Like, are you guys, like what's going to be your trigger point that would get you guys worried? And we had a pretty green crew on a water tender with us. And then we had a crew on an engine that was like, like pretty switched on and like wanting to kind of get after it. Right. So um, I just said like, Hey, like, like we're going to have our own trigger point here. Uh, you guys with, with, with the tender, like I didn't even want you up here when things start, start to get shady because a, you're not going to be mobile. Like they're an, an old water tender, uh, manual trans. We're up on some pretty steep in, in inclines. The engine that was there was a mini pumper. So it was a lot more um, agile compared to like a long city engine. Um, and then I sent a bush truck. So uh, we were like, we were basically lookout. Uh, the engine was going uh, tactical patrol and I kept the water tender. Basically they, they would do, like for every one tactical patrol of the engine, the the tender would do a loop, like once every three, uh, just to kind of make make sure everything's good 
for them, they have the most water. If we had to actually any fire, they could come and fill fill us up. But uh, for the most part, once we were over on the other side of the fire, it was just patrol. We found the super nice lookout, which Scott ended up uh, making everybody yeah. his, his best friends. So I'll let you take it from there. So that was basically our lives for yeah, the we'll first three, three to four days. So we'll talk about this quick and then wrap. Because, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, just one thing, like Ash said, the uh, cases were really bad. And this year we had bought a, uh, our, with our deployment money, we actually bought a, a Starlink. So an Elon Musk, you know, plants on the ground and, you know, it, it doesn't sing. Um, we, we, at the time we bought the one we had, the mobile one wasn't, wasn't around yet. So we, we bought the RV version, which is a little more portable than the home base version. Um, we hadn't actually used it yet um, on anything. But Ash did say, because uh, Ash and I were transitioning, so I ended up taking over his role the next day. And he said, you know, communications up here are terrible. Um, maybe we should bring the crap to Starlink open. So, you know, it's in a nice case. We have it already. Um, it was actually meant more for camp. Um, when we're out of these remote camps, to kind of contact um, family members and tell everybody we're okay. And also, you know, to allow people, other people in the camp to use which later on in the season, in the season we actually did this year, um, the guys took it somewhere else on another deployment. And uh, Grant had said that, you know, we were like the, we were like the big hit because, you know, I had 26 people out in the middle of nowhere able to email and, you know, FaceTime and all that stuff because, you know, Starlink's quite an amazing um, internet system. So, um, so what we did, we found this high point. It was kind of, we were calling the lookout. So we ended up, you know, high pointing on this lookout overlooking the whole fire. And um, I dropped a Starlink, and I, I, you know, I talked to that when we got in in the morning. I, I talked to the uh, the IC, and I said, you know, hey, we brought the Starlink with us. I'd like to make a, you know, I, Ash kind of gave me the rundown where the best spot would be, and I said I'd like to drop a like a basically a comms hub up on top of the mountain. He's like, what? <laughs> so he's like, okay, sounds good. Um, you know, and a lot of the guys are like, what are you talking about? Like they're just like. They, they couldn't really wrap their head around what we were, we were going to do with some kind of weirdo, like crazy special forces Navy SEAL thing. <laughs> the little antenna thing was like, you know, that's this whole thing. And so, you know, we drive up on our bus truck and take out the big case and, and lay it and put it on the ground. We actually found uh, we were out someone's property and I realized they were on a solar array, so um, they wouldn't lose power. In theory, and nice lookout. Um, really good point. It was actually like a nice um, temporary um, refuge area, like some area where we could actually kind of stay. Um, it wasn't, wasn't necessarily a safe zone because there were there were some trees around it, but it was definitely an area where we could stay and be safe. Um, so we they had an extension cord laying there, plugged it in. Starlink starts up, so doing the checks and getting it all working. FaceTime these idiots just to test the speed. So on top of this mountain, I'm FaceTiming and we're like, wow, crystal, crystal clear. Yeah, crystal clear. Um, flipped over to cellular calling by a Wi-Fi, called called the uh, the the base, the base, the home base down below where they had like they were having zero comms earlier. Yeah. And you know, I had a conversation with me. It's like that's crazy. It's like perfectly clear. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it gives you a 200 foot radius basically. So um, so this comms have called up the other um, the other TFL who's a little bit of a I want to call him a Luddite. <laughs> but he definitely like wasn't wasn't quite sure what we were getting at. I'm like, yeah, come up here. I, I set up here this 
the satellite hub for you. So, so as he's driving up, I hear this, or the, I hear, oh, again, back to the ring camera, I hear, hey, thanks for checking my house. I'm like, what? I'm looking around, and on this pole, you can see this little camera moving. I'm like, oh, hey. He's like, hey, yeah, thanks. I said, hey, can we use your power? He's like, yeah, do whatever you need. So, yeah, he, you know, the, the homeowner was watching us, and he said, yeah, just use the power. Um, he had a little bit of internet. Uh, did, obviously, we're trying to be self-sufficient, so we don't want to tap into stuff. So, yeah, the, the task force leader comes up, and I, I hook him up on, on his phone, and he's just like, this is great. It's now, all of a sudden, we went from having um, no columns, having a dead zone, overlooking a perfect look out of the fire to having a, like a crystal clear calm where now force stream come up. Um, they could send their messages to their, to their people. Um, they could make phone calls. Um, so we had this, like this calm area set up now. Um, and it was like, it was great. It, you know, it was well received, um, for that day. And then the next day we didn't need it anymore because the fire moved on. And, but, uh, and then moving into the other fires that we just packaged it up. Ash found it because it does run on power. I found a pretty sweet little um, inverter that is plugged into a cigarette lighter. Yeah, it was really cool. So we had a look, and like it doesn't take a lot of power. Mm-hmm. So we actually got uh, like a cigarette lighter converter, and it works for two weeks out on deployment. They made it; it was ready to rock. You know, Kevin and I debate. He says it's not portable. I say it's portable because you know anything that you can drive around, and within five minutes you have like crystal clear communications that's portable to me um you know from going from zero to 100 percent communications within five minutes of because you have set it up starts back up finds the satellites um hooks you up to the internet and you're good to go um and you can do cellular calling and all you know you can basically facetime people back in victoria if you had to show them the actual what's going on in the ground um to me that's portable <laughs> um in the future there's an even more portable one um that that um Starling has created that actually sits on top of the truck and, and tracks the whole time. So that would be something we look at in the future because it sounds like this is definitely a hit. Um, yes. Something we're going we're to keep bringing with us on deployments. Um, and it does help in camp as well with people being able to watch Netflix. <laughs> I'm sitting in the tent at night. That's literally originally while we had it. We weren't even thinking necessarily. I, got, you know, I was thinking we could use it on some communication, mm-hmm. but I wasn't thinking that we would be actually needing it to to make a, an area safe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, why don't we, we'll stop there. Yeah. We will go for a while now. <laughs> and uh, next week when we have our guests on, we can kind of dive into the community and finer cats and what was actually happening on that part. Yeah. So, okay, well, let's jump into some shout outs. Um, what do we got? Modus. Ash. Modus. Uh, yeah. Um, I was actually watching our video, the fire life video. Um, There we are. X gloves. Um, Yeah. It came up on my feed today. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Sweet. So their claim, claim to fame is going to be the snagger tool. uh, But like Scott just showed there, they've got uh, the X lineup. They got the X gloves there. Uh, I, I got Kai, one of our our newest members. Um, That's just kind of coming up through uh, training. Uh, Got Kai on the old X pouch at a, a recent uh, auto X call that we had the other day. So uh, that's kind of like Gen 1 of the X pouch. It's, it's not out there yet, but um, it's about to be, and it is great. So we kind of dubbed it the tool belt of 
Destiny. Um, so, so uh, we, well, I thought Leek was something else. No, our instructor called it the Tool of Destiny. I thought we. No, no, no. One of our guys called the one we built originally the Tool Build of Disappointment. Because <laughs> it kept falling out and stuff would fall out of it. So, so the one these guys, the, the chemist instructors showed us, mm-hmm. um, the AutoX instructors, they, they had the Tool Build of Destiny, they called it, which was uh, a carpenter's rig. Yes. Um, and we're, you know, it's, it's deeper and it's a little big. Um, yeah. And then when we built ours, we actually built it out of a, so I guess that was technically uh, Gen 1. Yes. We built it out of a Modus um, pocket organizer. A little too short. We attached a, a little top heavy. So every time you put it off, it would kind of fall out and all this stuff would fall out of it. So it was definitely the tool belt of disappointment. Yeah. Um, so but now yeah. the X uh, way nicer. Um, has a, like a waist belt, a uh, cover buckle. Um, has uh, room for your snagger, for your um, for your uh, like battery wrench, uh, for your uh, what do you got? What kind of weird motions are you doing over here? Pry bars, <laughs> yeah, pry bars, battery yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pouches in there. Uh, it's also got the uh, leg strap, so when you do kneel down, bend, bend over, uh, that coupled with the uh, like flap that goes over top of it keeps everything in place. Uh, so yeah, Kai got to try, try, try it out. Um, I mean, all we needed was uh, the old battery wrench there, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so that uh, they've got their uh, other textiles like their bags here. Get myself out of the way. You can see, see that. Um, They've got uh, uh, soft entry, force entry kit. Uh, check them out on their uh, website and their social medias. Uh, if you like what you see, which you should, uh, use discount code DTFF5 for 5% off your order. Excellent. Uh, Scott, stop the bleed. Yeah, um, when you're bleeding, stop it. Moving on. <laughs> no. Um, if you get over here, turn it. Yeah, wait, turn it. If you're going to turn it, turn it. Fine, fine. Um, if you're going to use a tourniquet, use a good one. Um, if you're going to use wound packing, you can basically use anything. So we'll use the Curlex or the C-Locks, but, you know, really anything to work, a sock, a dirty shirt. So rewinding for a second, the three methods of bleeding control are, are tourniquet. Wound packing, where you do your, you use your clean sock and or, or some sort of bandage and direct pressure. So, um, yeah, I'm was an instructor in this, and it's now getting pulled. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, if you want to become an instructor, uh, it's Um, okay. Country Music West Coast Canada. Uh, they're out touring, doing doing their thing. Uh, they got some new music they just dropped. Um, what is it? <coughs> some country angel? Some. Yeah. Um, love. 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 They got some really good music. Put on a hell of a lot. Missing your love. Hell of a group. Put on an amazing live live show. Check out anywhere that you stream and download music. Missing your dirty sock. 
Uh, Wolf Street Coffee. Scott, that's you. Yeah, Wolf Street Coffee. Yeah, you've been living off uh, a lot of coffee over the last um, several months. Yeah. Um, was it you probably dropped off like a couple times? Yeah, yeah. So um, Wolf Street Coffee, um, they they have the initial attack blend that we helped create. We helped meld the flavors together by tasting it and going, well, it's tasting really good. Yeah, we blended it. We didn't blend it. We, did, we just tasted it and found it tasted pretty good. What is that? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, what's your coffee? Check them out online. They will deliver uh, locally in the Okanagan, and now they will also um, ship internationally. They'll ship around. Anything over Canada, uh, uh, threshold, you buy so much product, they'll uh, ship it for free. Um, and then the initial attack blend, uh, $2 uh, pound yes. is donated to uh, Honor House, uh, which is uh, in, um, not in Vancouver, it's in uh, Westminster. And, you know, to hear more about that, uh, one of our episodes, I don't know the number, quite a while ago, um, last year, we had um, Al from on yeah. us on talking about it. So if you want to know more about that, check it out. DTFF store. So reach out uh, to us and we will uh, ship you a shirt. Yep. Yeah. Any more for any more? No. no. Thank you. Scott. Thanks. Good night. All right. Thanks for everybody. Always stay safe. Stay DTFF. Stay DTFF.